please join us for episode four of I Dream of Jeannie. Jeannie and the Marriage Caper. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered am I. Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, our podcast about magical shows from the 1960s. I'm Molly. And I'm Frank. And you're joining us for the fourth episode of I Dream of Jeannie. Jeannie and the Marriage Caper. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. Tony's fiancée, Melissa, is anxious to move up the wedding date, especially when her father becomes the European ambassador. General Stone offers Tony a prestigious position if he leaves the Air Force. Jeannie blinks herself into an Asian houseboy to pass unnoticed by Melissa and her father. While at a bachelor party, Roger Healy finds himself replaced as Tony's best man by Melissa's former beau, Grover Caldwell. With both Melissa and her father making plans without Tony's consent, it's only a matter of time before the wedding is off. Fantastic. All right. So if I remember correctly, Tony is working at a drafting table on some project for NASA in his upper den, and he asks Jeannie if she would mind making him a cheese sandwich. Oh, oh hello, Jeannie. Say, you wouldn't fix me a cheese sandwich, would you? Uh, I'd go down to the delicatessen myself, but uh, if I'm going to finish this design before I pick up Melissa, I won't have a Melissa. chance. Melissa? Mm-hmm. A black-haired witch. When he says a cheese sandwich, you know what I'm picturing, Molly? Wonder Bread with American cheese, not even grilled. I'm thinking what he wants is a Wonder Bread sandwich with American cheese. Oh, my gosh. I would love to have one of those slices <laughs> of wrapped cheese right now. Those were an addiction when I was a kid because the neighbors got them and we didn't always have them and (laughs) they always had them. So you could go over there and if you could just score one of those American cheese, what were they called? They're craft singles. Craft singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait, these neighbors who you and your family were hell bent on keeping out of your home, you could invade their kitchen and uh, raid their icebox? My mom was keeping them away. I would sneak over and adopt the other mom as like my mom, like the more glamorous mom who had the singles. And I would definitely be over there and try to charm her out of some of those craft American singles. I also had a terrible history of in my childhood of falling in love with other people's parents and trying to ingratiate myself <laughs> into their households. Uh, I did it several times. Oh, I totally did that, yeah. Much to the annoyance of my classmates, who I was not great friends with. You know, it's funny, but I am in contact on Facebook with one of those idolized moms. <laughs> By the way, just to tie this back to our Bewitched days... She was always in repose in her bedroom wearing those multi-layered negligees or what's the word for it when it's the... Is it a peignoir? Oh, yeah, peignoir. Yeah, 
all the little girls that were at her house, we'd go up and put her nightgowns on and put, we'd belt <laughs> them, you know, and twirl around in them. They were like ballerina costumes, you know. Mm-hmm. The point is, <laughs> she was right in the middle of my magical years and the negligees were really important. And Jeannie's costume is a little bit like that. A little weirder, you know, more harem pants, which is not what she had. She was much more like Samantha and Bewitched with the nightgown with matching robe over it. Um, anyway, I digress. <laughs> hey, you be careful, young lady. That happens to be the girl I'm going to marry. Her vibrations are all wrong for you. Oh, that's funny. I kind of like the way she vibrates. She will never make you happy, master. Let's just stick to the cheese sandwich, Jeannie. Well, if this is what you really wish. Mm-hmm. That is what I really wish. Jeannie makes the offhand observation that Melissa, Tony's fiance, is a black-haired witch, and that her vibrations are all wrong for Tony, which is very hippie-ish sounding. I think everything foreign is sort of put on Jeannie at random. It doesn't really matter if it's authentically Persian or... I mean, again, she looks Swedish, of course. (laughs) Hey, if the Beatles at this point in time could be mining the Far East for mysticism, then why not Jeannie as well? I just noticed her shoes in this scene. They are just a brilliant pink pump with a heel. Wouldn't you wear more of a slipper with that outfit? I'm thinking of Endora's slippers. (laughs) What's the big idea? Before one can make a cheese sandwich, one must first make the cheese. Yeah, yeah, that figures. Uh, Oh, she gets a goat to make the cheese. She blinks a goat and milk bucket into Tony's study, explaining that for no goddamn good reason, she has to make cheese first before making a cheese sandwich. Oh, their refrigerator is green. (laughs) Their cabinets are pink. And the countertop is blue. It's just obscene. It just none of it goes <laughs> together. It's crazy. A riot of pastels. You're already cutting away from the lame joke and the cheap visual gag of putting an animal on the set. Yeah. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> no, I totally left the goat and started looking at the countertop. I'm just obsessed with kitchens right now. <laughs> Yeah. I never danced so much in my life. Thanks for driving me home, Melissa. I'll, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. I have a wonderful idea. Why don't you lure me inside so we can snuggle up in front of a roaring fire with a couple of hot toddies and uh, talk about our honeymoon? Well, I, I, I wish I could, Liz, but uh, we better not. I'm a terribly messy housekeeper. I'll clean it up for you. <laughs> yeah. Tony! Huh? You read my mind. Oh, what? You even lit a fire. I did? Oh, (laughs) yeah, I did. (laughs) Tony is finishing up a date with Melissa, who's obviously angling to get an invitation inside. Yeah, and she actually got inside, but then he had her leave, and there's this whole thing about why are we whispering? (laughs) Yes. Why wait? Why don't we simply move up the wedding date? Well, yeah, that, that's a marvelous idea. Oh. oh, Tony. Wait till I get you in Jamaica. I guess I'll have to, won't I? It won't be too long. Tony, yeah. may I ask you something? 
What are we whispering about? <laughs> oh, it's just something you don't discuss in public. <laughs> you mean the walls have ears? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you look a little tired. You better get some rest. I'll go. Yeah, it's a good idea. Hmm? I mean, you look tired too. And they're going to Jamaica. For their honeymoon, yes. She has upset you. She has upset me? What do you think you've been doing, Jeannie? Do you really love that one? Well, I, I wouldn't be marrying her if I didn't. Well, if this is what you really want, I will try to serve you and make both of you happy. <laughs> oh, we will have a wonderful honeymoon. No, 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 wait a minute. I don't think you know the ground rules. I am taking Melissa to Jamaica on our honeymoon. Jamaica? Oh, that sounds nice. We will have a good time there. I will serve you ripe figs in bed. Oh, no, you... Dates? No, no, nothing. You won't be there. But why? No offense, Jeannie, but on a honeymoon, two is company and three is... Three... Well, three is just out of the question. Jeannie's going to serve him ripe figs in bed. Yeah, so this disturbs Tony because of Jeannie's guileless lack of propriety. And then there's also, I think, the vaguest implication that Jeannie does understand that there's a lack of boundaries here and that this is also meant in some weird sexual way. Like she's going to be sister wife or something like that in this arrangement. She's going to be the handmaiden. Well, she offers to turn herself into a brunette. Yeah. But I am your no, genie. No, no, I... no, no, no. Melissa is in. You are out. There is just not enough room in my life for both of you. But I take up very little room, and I will make that one happy, too. Oh, boy, that'll be the day. Well, even if she is the wrong girl for you. Will you stop saying that? Oh, but it is true. You will be throwing your life away. It is not so, and, and, and it's my life, and I can throw it any place I please. I could change myself into a brunette. How do you like the Helen of Troy look? It is weird. I think we were returning to her being more sexually suggestive again. Uh, I just ran into Rogers. I want you to meet a very old friend of the family, Grover Caldwell. Oh, how do you do? So you're the lucky man. Liz has told me all about you. Oh, is she? Tony is walking into the general's office, and on the wall is a portrait of JFK. JFK was assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. Just two years before this show. So it's really fresh in the country's zeitgeist, in their minds. And Melissa, in the general's office, looks so much like Jackie O, it's crazy. With a pillbox hat. Pillbox hat, sleeveless suit, white gloves. She looks like a stewardess on the Jetsons. She does. You know, it's funny because you mentioned in the last episode that that picture was not actually her. Oh, yeah. And as I see her now, I I know you're right. We're talking about the framed photograph that Jeannie had hidden inside a drawer. Yes. To keep the image of uh, Melissa out of view. But it's not even Melissa in that photograph. No, it, it really looks nothing like her other than that it's a brunette woman. That's it? A, a brunette Caucasian woman, I should say. I'm also thinking that Melissa looks like Dr. Girlfriend cosplay in this episode. Almost a caricature of Jackie O. Grover, uh, tell him the news. Captain, after a long and honorable military career, the department has prevailed upon General Stone to turn in his stars for a pair of striped trousers and an attache case. Turn in his stars? <laughs> That's State Department talk, meaning that Daddy is our newest ambassador. Who is playing this boyfriend? Grover Caldwell? Yeah. I looked him up and he's nobody. It's funny because he looks a little like Warren Beatty. A little bit. 
Just a little bit. But he looks like Warren Beatty now when he's like 65 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, congratulations, sir. That's wonderful news. Thank you, Tony. It's a great opportunity for both of us. Uh, yes, yes, I'm sure it will be. Us. Who do you think he's taking to Europe as his military attaché? Yeah, don't get the idea that it's just because you're going to be the father of my grandchildren that uh, you're getting this plum. I'd have wanted you with me in any case. Well, you people have a lot to talk about, so I'll just pop off and take care of the passports and clearances. Tony? Oh, yes, yeah, pleasure. General? Comparing side to side, him to Tony. Yeah, this guy's a real schlemiel. Yeah, kind of a skinny dude, you know, his suit's sort of hanging off of him. He looks like a schmuck. Yeah, yeah. Don't you think it's wonderful? Well, no, no, slow down, slow down. I can't, I can't quit what I'm doing. It's a great opportunity, Tony. Of course it is. Tony just hasn't had time to think about it. But we can all discuss this at dinner. We are coming to your house for dinner tonight, aren't we? Yes, yes, of course, but there's nothing to discuss, Melissa. I'm in the space program because that's where I want to be. I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, sir, and I know you'll make a, a wonderful, a fine ambassador. They're all coming to his house for dinner. Dinner is going to be frozen peas and frozen hors d'oeuvres and frozen wild rice. Tony is a shitty, shitty bachelor. What are you doing, Master? I'm preparing dinner. Why? Well, cooking is woman's work. Jeannie insists that cooking is woman's work, so she grabs the frozen food cartons from him. Oh, if you did that, you, you'd save my life. I have a report to finish. Uh, do you know anything about cooking? Everything. I will take care of it. You go soak your body in a warm tub scented with rose petals. Well, that's a good idea, but I don't think so right now. Oh, if you want to know anything about the cooking, the instructions are on the back of the boxes. Uh, you do read, don't you? Mm. Right to left, left to right, top to bottom, or bottom to top. <laughs> One of the few funny lines that she does have, she's actually describing accurately the way several other languages write their printed text and how they're supposed to be read, and he explains to her, no, it's left to right. Uh, left to right, top to bottom. <laughs> she clearly doesn't read the instructions. She just turns on the burners on the stovetop and sets all the boxes of food ablaze. The colors in this kitchen are crazy. They're just crazy. They just don't make sense. Remember that this is colorized. Oh, so they <laughs> added the color later and maybe they screwed it up because it is ridiculous. Or maybe not. Well, the stove is literally lavender. Is there such a thing as a lavender stove? Doris Day was in this movie called Lover Come Back where she played an interior decorator. She is showing some designs to her boss. She is horrified that the customer has chosen lilac for their kitchen. And she says, who has a lilac kitchen? And he says, well, I do. And he's clearly quite gay. Uh, she appeases him by saying, well, not everyone's as artistic as you are. You know, and I said stove, but what I meant was oven. Ah. The oven is lilac. It, it's definitely lilac in this colorized version. I think it was genuinely a color from that time. Wow. Yeah. So I want to just point out something to you, Frank, for our weird, trivial interior design stuff that we do on these shows. But when Jeannie is in the kitchen and with the lilac oven, there's wallpaper on the wall that remember when we were watching Bewitched in the first episodes when they lived in the apartment before they moved to the house? 
I remember it well. It's when you made the observation that the wallpaper looked like a potato stamp project for a kindergarten. And here we go again. It's exactly <laughs> the same. It looks just the same to me. It's like another potato stamp thing. I don't, I don't even recall that being a fashion, but here it is on two different shows of the time. I have to do a little bit of research about wallpaper. It's a blue wallpaper with light blue stamps. It's like it got a grid and then there's like a pattern that just seems really rustic. Not at all what I envisioned from that time when I thought things were kind of really more precise that they were doing then. It must have been an alternate style from that same time. Yeah. An alternate choice. Yeah. A less popular choice, but one that was there nevertheless and caught fire with somebody. Yeah. So it's probably important to mention that Jeannie is not deliberately trying to ruin the meal. She's quite upset when she dips her finger into the exploded food cartons and says that her sister made better gravy 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And she was the worst cook in the Middle East. (laughs) Corny, corny joke. Very corny. Oh, in Tony's front hallway... Oh, sorry. I'm just totally focused now on the decor. But in the front hallway, there's like a Boston fern. And in the middle of the Boston fern, there is a gold statue of what looks like a Middle Eastern god with multiple hands, like maybe a Hindu god. Again, a nod to mid-century Orientalism? I think so. I think so. And it's just, again, random because as the general goes around the corner, there's then what looks like a completely different kind of antiquity that he passes on his right. They're clearly from different cultures and different eras. and Which is fine when it's being collected by an indifferent white man. I'm glad that you took note of the Asiatic decorating because we're going into some really thorny territory in this episode. To avoid detection by General Stone and Melissa Stone, Jeannie transforms herself into an Asian houseboy by the name of Jeannie Cato. (laughs) Tony, you never told me that you had a houseboy. Oh, no, no, I I, didn't, did I? Where did you ever find, uh, uh, what's his name? Cato. Jeannie. Jeannie Cato. Those look marvelous. May I? Fantastic. Try one, Melissa. Oh, I uh, well, to. Why don't you try several? I'll be with you in a minute. Huh? Jeannie Cato, these look beautiful. You know, this reminds me, when I was dating this guy that I dated in the early 1980s, He was a chef, and we went to New York to visit an old friend of his who brought us out to, like, all the latest, hottest restaurants to kind of show us what the trends were because he was opening a new restaurant. And this guy was a gay guy who had Asian houseboys. Gross. And that was his thing. Gross. My boyfriend went and talked business. I was assigned an Asian houseboy whose job was to show me the town. So he took me all around New York showing me things. Of course, in my Minnesota liberal ways, tried to befriend him and draw him out and whatever. And he just seemed like a young Asian guy. I don't know. It was the craziest story. That's It just reminded me of this weird story of my past. No, I like it. <laughs> And what was your success rate at at opening up to him and him uh, returning the favor? You know, I think a little bit. I think I'm pretty good at that. But it is kind of weird and gross in retrospect that I accepted, well, you know, it's New York. People do things differently. Gay guys have Asian houseboys. I guess that's what happens here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would never think of it that way now. Obviously, it was a, you know, a rich man who had who could keep these young men. 
that were immigrants, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But it was all very shiny and glossy in 1980s New York disco chic. I kind of forgot about that till I saw Jeannie turn herself <laughs> yeah. into an Asian houseboy. With a big, gigantic earring in his right ear. Listen, who do you think you're going to fool with this crazy disguise? It is no disguise, yeah. see? Huh? <laughs> oh! If I had a houseboy that could cook like this... I wouldn't pull his hair. (laughs) You were shaded from this debauchery. The concept of houseboy being synonymous with prostitute, I don't know that we knew anybody that had domestics that traveled that fine line. No, I had no louche gay friends, unfortunately. I might have learned a lot. But also, there was a period of time where having an Asian servant and calling them a houseboy and having them clean and cook was also very commonplace. I was thinking of that early 60s movie, The Manchurian Candidate, that I've mentioned previously. The main character, midway through the film, takes on an Asian houseboy. And that is a relationship that is definitely not sexual. I think we ought to take Jeannie Cato to Europe with us. Would you like that? Thou art going to Europe? No. Uh, We'll discuss this later, Melissa. I'll be very happy to go with you wherever you go. Oh, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't like it. But he's such a treasure. And good help is impossible to get. So Jeannie, pretending to be this houseboy, prepares a ragu a la Sinbad. There is this weird moment before Melissa bursts into the kitchen to discover Jeannie Cato. The moment that Melissa sets eyes on Jeannie in this transformed state, she begins laughing hysterically. The laughter comes because she suspects that, again, Tony is hiding a woman in his home. And she is just tickled to death that not only is it not a woman, it's this Asian houseboy. And on some weird, really gross level, I almost feel like to Melissa and to whoever is writing this, this means that not only is it not a woman, it's not really a man even, This is the opposite of a sexual creature. Oh, yeah, for sure. And on top of that, they begin playing that classic, funny-sounding oriental riff, also known as an Asian riff, every time that Jeannie Cato is on screen. (laughs) Thank you, Jeannie Cato. That was the best cake I've ever tasted in my whole life. It's a classic little musical phrase that's been used in Western culture forever to stereotype Orientalism. Yep. Jeannie Cato retains Jeannie's voice. So, of course, it's an Asian man with a very feminine voice because it's still Barbara Eden's voice. Thank you. I'm only sorry he won't be coming to Europe with us. Who says he won't? Huh? We'll talk about this later, okay? Well, well, now, 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 wait a minute. Uh, Cato is not going to Europe. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to Europe, and neither is my wife going to Europe. Well, anything you say, darling. Good night, Liz. Good night, Dad. Sir. Good night. Dark-haired one will get her way. She's very strong-minded. Just keep out of this, fella. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I said. It's like Melissa's discovered a creature that's devoid of sexual identity. It's beyond unthreatening. It's the complete reversal of her original idea that this might be something to be worried about. Nope. Barely a person. Well, and the story I just told you was the opposite, right? Yes. It's just funny that in reality, 20 years later, the Asian houseboy becomes not 
a non-sexual object, but a very sexual object. Yeah. To a different kind of man. Indeed, indeed. Well, is the condemned man ready for the... Wait a minute, you do look like a condemned man. Oh, come on, let's get on with it. Let's get this thing over with, huh? Sound like you're going to a hanging. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Nothing wrong with Melissa, either. I didn't say there was. She's a little strong-minded, but there's nothing the matter with that. Of course not. Yeah, she's intelligent, a reasonable girl. Sure, she's... Lucky got to have her. Boy, you really got the last-minute jitters, haven't you? Come on, we better get out of here. Yeah. They're going to go to the bachelor's party, which is being held at the officer's club. Looks dull as hell. Oh, my God. They're just all dressed in these tight suits. <laughs> it's definitely... Yuck. It's a sausage fest, and they're just sipping champagne in coupe glasses. Dr. Bellows <laughs> tells Tony that he finds him interesting, clinically, <laughs> which is great since the actor who plays Dr. Bellows is gay. There's at least a little bit of subtext there. I'm sure there is. You know, in all the years I've been practicing psychiatry, you're the most interesting person I've ever met. Thank you, sir. Oh, I, I was speaking clinically. <laughs> what do you find so interesting about me? Well, you don't fit into any known category. One minute you're calm, the next you're hysterical. You can pass the most difficult test the Air Force has devised, and yet you hear voices. You're a top scientist, and you suffer from delusions. You don't call that interesting? I can't wait to put you in a book. And then there's a cake in the background. It is the pop-out cake. Yes. And do you think this really happened? Like, there'd be a giant cake in the middle of the room, and people would socialize for an hour or two, and then just be surprised by somebody popping out of it? Like, what was that poor person doing in that cake all that time? Crouching down, (laughs) thinking on their sins. (laughs) But it just seems like that. It seems like, okay, well, we'll have a few drinks, we'll talk, and then eventually someone will say, well, what about this giant cake? (laughs) Yeah, it's a pop-out cake, a jump-out cake, a surprise cake. They've been around for a couple of centuries now. There's something that always fascinated me. When I was a kid, I think that there were plenty of movies and TV shows where they would show up, and it could be something as revered as Citizen Kane, where they had a pop-out cake, to a television sitcom during the 1970s or 80s. And to me, it always felt like a weird signifier of some mysterious part of adulthood that I didn't understand, especially the idea of a pop-out cake at a bachelor party. So many things, as we've mentioned, are coded. A woman or women jump out of pop-out cakes. In a film or in a TV show, they usually either sing or dance. I always thought that they were strippers. I always thought that the movies or TV shows were too demure to show you what actually took place. But in this case, Jeannie simply jumps out and just begins mingling like a party (laughs) guest. She does nothing. No dancing, no nothing. Nothing. Uh, I have to, you know, hold the phones for one second here because her outfit is different. Oh, yes. It has all the colors of her traditional harem costume, but it is uh, a shift. It is a variation. There's no rickrack on this one. There is no rickrack. You and your rickrack obsession. Yeah, it's a completely different costume. So Grover talks about how Melissa has changed all the honeymoon plans for Tony without talking to him. 
Well, by this time Saturday, you and Melissa will be honeymooning in Honolulu. Jamaica. Honolulu? Oh, didn't Melissa tell you? I'm sorry. I'm sure she meant to. Well, uh, no, no. It probably slipped her mind. And, of course, you know, you have to comment on the fact that these two have been engaged since the beginning of the show. And the times that you see her are just these really formal, very occasional times when they actually go out on a date. But there's no place for her in his life. It's never been like that. And that always just seemed odd. It really does. Yeah. She's more of an accessory than a fiancé. Yeah. And Grover claims that he's grown up with Melissa, but he looks old and craggy and (laughs) does not look remotely close to her age. He just cannot accept that this dude might actually be an old-looking young man. No. No. We talked about sun. We talked about chain smoking. We talked about poorly controlled blood pressure and diabetes and who knows what else is going on here and drugs on set. (laughs) Bad genes. Bad genes. Bad genes. Yeah. So uh, Jeannie begins to haunt Grover with Melissa's voice to drive him into a mad frenzy of rekindled passion for her. And um, Melissa is taken aback by what she calls Tony's lack of ambition uh, and says that he resents being helped. But, of course, her version of helping him is manipulating him and making all of his life decisions for him. Yeah. Oh, so boring. Now she has a pink dress on. (laughs) It's lovely. You know, Grover really does look like as old as her dad. They're standing next to each other, and they look <laughs> the same age. Thanks, Jenny. You must be a mind reader. Oh, no, no. I cannot read minds, Master. Oh, but I have a friend, Nostradamus, who does a marvelous <laughs> job. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to miss you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're uh, you're really very nice. Huh? Uh, I mean, take this for instance. I, I didn't even have to ask you for it. And that dinner you made. That was fantastic. Well, of course it was fantastic. But it was also delicious. Well, I'm pleased that you enjoyed it, Master. Yeah, you're always thinking what I'll like. It's worth noting that we've had this same scene in episodes one, two, and now four. The scene where they play the slow, melancholy, romantic version of the opening theme song and Tony has sort of a fake farewell with Jeannie that's full of regret where he's realizing that she was the right girl for him all along. She is showing her midriff again. Oh. I saw some skin. It's side skin, (laughs) not frontal skin. Oh, well. Her little top is sticking out of the veils again. Jeannie says that she can't read minds, but she's friends with Nostradamus. (laughs) Of course... He couldn't read minds either. He was a prognosticator, not a mind reader. Grover and I must talk to you. Well, as a matter of fact, I've been wanting to talk to you. Uh, Tony, Tony, now, the simple truth is... Uh, uh, Grover? Melissa wants to marry me. That is, Melissa and I want to be married. I'm sorry, Tony. It's just that, well, you're, you're not the man I became engaged to. And I don't think you realize how much you've changed. Tony's not very sorry. 
No. Funnily enough, Tony is practicing breaking up with Melissa, but then Melissa and Grover walk in and beat him to it, and he doesn't have to go through with any of his practice speeches. Are you as bored as I am at this point? Uh, Oh, sure. (laughs) Boy, was that close. Thou wilt never know how close, Master. Well, things always work out for the best. You mean you are not unhappy that your marriage was called off? Unhappy? Unhappy? Jeannie, this is the first time in months I've felt absolutely free. Oh, boy. Oh, Master, thou has a lot to learn. Okay, now we're at episode four. We're done with Jeannie for a while. There are a couple of things that they love. They love the phony goodbye between Tony and Jeannie, where he has his misgivings and his regrets. They love the scenes where Tony pretends to throw jewelry and Jeannie chases it like a fucking Labrador. That happens in episodes one and in episode three as well. Yeah, so it's like if you went like piece by piece through this house and just looked at the decor, every few feet there's some kind of different religious icon. Uh, So anyway, all right, next. (laughs) I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. Thank you so much for joining us. Please come again next week when we finally return to Bewitched. Before we go, I would like to thank our listeners for leaving comments. Thank you so much to our listener, Mark Lindsay, who writes, This review of one of my favorite campy shows was top-notch, and the timing is spot-on as our current global political scenario hinges on positive relations with countries sympathetic to genies. I love it. Me too. Though it'll be a long time before we see an episode of I Dream of Genie again. Yeah, it's true. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Well, until next time. Until next time. Bothered and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. The neighbor mom that I fell in love with had a variety of penwas that we would go and dress up in when she was away and dance around her bedroom nice yeah um so she actually didn't permit you guys to do it you did it on the sly oh she was pretty i mean i'm sure she didn't care she just we couldn't have put them on when she was wearing them so no (laughs) i think i hear the fucking music (laughs) (laughs) don't no you're not gonna but it is your turn to say it well Until next time.
I have to say it. You have to say it. You have to say it until next time. You're feeding me the line. And I'm like thinking, I need to respond to that. What do I say? Okay. Until next time. Let me One do more that time. again. I think that, yeah, that. Until next time. Until next time.